tonight to consider just one thing this morning, if you will. Um, I'm going to make an assumption, because I've seen this before, perhaps even experienced it to some degree, that if there's ever a believer that wakes up one day and they realize that there is a big gap or a chasm between their relationship with Christ and where they're living, I'm going to make an assumption that that did not happen overnight. That that typically happens over time, not overnight. And it's not that any believer, I've yet to meet the believer, maybe they're out there, I just think it's pretty rare if it ever happens, a believer that wakes up one morning, shakes their fist at God, and runs full speed away from him. I've, I've yet to meet that believer. But I have, and even been, that follower of Christ that over time I've just drifted away. It, come on, am I the only one? Have you ever had that experience? Have you ever known somebody to have that experience? I want you and I to consider this morning the, the danger of drift. And, and when I say danger, it's a real danger. It's not a mythical one. It's not an abstract theological one. It's real. It has real ramifications to it. And just as the people that the book of Hebrews is speaking to, as we mentioned last week, the, the author was focusing on Jews who had found Christ. And when they found Christ, they were drawn out of a lifetime. Many of them had grown up in a, a legalistic religion, a lifeless legalism that, that sucked the life out of them. And they found life in Christ and were following him. And then their faith was put to the test. And some of those, because of that test, were starting to drift away from Christ. Now listen, when you drift, it's not just about who you drift away from. It's what you typically drift into. And that was the case with them. They not only drifted away from Christ, where they had life, for some of them for the first time, a, a one to follow, one to live life for, and they were drifting back into the misery that you had known for so long. So I want you and I to look at these first four verses of chapter 2 in the, in the book of Hebrews, and I want you to see two things this morning. Number one, what are the results of spiritual drift, actual results in life? And number two, how can we defend ourselves against it? What is the way, how can we begin to protect ourselves from spiritual drift? Let's look at it. Chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. The author says this, We must, not we might, not we get around to, we must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not what? Drift away. For since the message spoken through angels was binding and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore the great salvation? This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles, and by the gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. 
Now look at the first verse. And I want you to know the big red flag. Did you see the words he uses? This is the NIV translation that I'm reading out of. But he said what? Did he say we might? Are y'all there? We must. And then he adds some more words on top of that to make it absolutely clear. He says we must what? Pay attention, most careful attention. So he adds a bunch of words on front of the word attention there. And, and the, the phrase pay the most careful attention means mega, means super abundance of, really focused. Have you ever had a startling moment and all of a sudden your brain was just focused as all get out? over something that happened, a car running in front of you, whatever it might be. All of a sudden, you, you wake up from this kind of daze into, wow, I can't see anything else, but I can see that, right? That's the kind of emphasis that he's saying. He says, we must, not we should, but we must pay the most careful attention. Now, the word attention would mean what you think it means, but, but specifically, in God's word, that, that phrase or that word is important because it means and refers to what captures your thinking, what holds your thought life, what you are, are dwelling in with your mind in particular. So he's telling you, okay, believers, he's talking to believers who are drifting. He's saying, pay most careful attention Something ought to be absorbing your thought life and your mind. Well, what is the something? Look at it close. He says, pay most careful attention. And then he says, what? Therefore, and you always ask, Brian and I were talking, having this discussion this week. When you see therefore, you always ask the question, what is the therefore therefore? The therefore is pointing you back to chapter one that we looked at last week. And in chapter 1, we learned last week that Christ is superior. Number one, he is over all life. He is the author of life. He is the authority of life. He created all things that he desires to be the author of your life and my life. And number two, we, we learned that he revealed all there is to know about God. God's not a secret. Christ has made God clear as to who he is and how he wants to engage in your life. Okay, so he's saying what? Don't drift away from the truth of God's word and what it reveals about who Jesus actually is. Jesus is not another Jewish guy born in history. Jesus is not just a smart dude that we run across through the Bible. He is God with us. He is superior to anything you could ever try to put your faith in. And have we tried to put faith in other things? Absolutely. Even as believers, we're tempted to put our faith in other people, other things, maybe even self. But the Bible says this is it. He is it. He is superior. So the Hebrews is trying to say, pay close attention to what your thinking is absorbed in. Is it anchored? In truth? Now listen, is it truly anchored in the truth of God's word on a regular basis? The way you think, the way you choose, the way you perceive. And he says, do this, why? Do this, therefore, that you, all that you have heard, God's word, so that you do not what? Drift away. Now listen, that phrase drift away is a cool term because it's a nautical term. I'm not a sailor, but I love to read about how that is done. 
And the, the word drift away or the phrase drift away refers and it pictures a ship that is in safe harbor. It is anchored in safe harbor. But in this case, it's not anchored in the safe harbor and it starts drifting out aimlessly to, to the open sea. So it's in a place of safety, in a place that ought to be. And all of a sudden, over time, what happens with currents, you know? Slowly but subtly, you drift out and aimlessly out into the open sea. So that is the, the picture here. He is telling us we don't run away from God typically. We drift away from him. So result number one you'll see on the screen is that we drift away from the truth over time. And listen, I hope you'll hear me. Even if you think you know what I'm going to say, hear me. When you and I are not anchored in the truth of God's word, when you and I are not being influenced by the truth of his word, when you and I, even as a follower, are not being influenced by Christ, friends, you will be influenced by the world. Are you hearing me? It's true. When you and I drift away from him in his, his thinking, his mind is no longer our mind, or if we're trying to play it both ways, guess what's going to happen next? You, it's not if, you will drift away. You will be like that ship in the safe harbor, harbor that is drifting out aimlessly into the open sea. And when you drift aimlessly out in the open sea, there's all kinds of stuff that's coming next, right? That you will not expect and you'll be surprised by in some cases, but we shouldn't. So God's word is saying, he's calling us to focus our hearts and our minds anchored in the truth of God's word. Solomon in the Old Testament said something very similar over and over again. But one example would be Proverbs chapter 3 verse 21 where he says, My son, do not let wisdom and understanding where? Out of your sight. You ever lost a child before? Those raising, having raised kids, I've lost one. I've told you about one time, my son. That's a scary thing. Because he says here, if you look closely, do not let wisdom and understanding out of your sight. And then he tells you why. He says, preserve sound judgment and discretion. What is Solomon saying? When you let, when you let the truth of God's word, wisdom, out of your sight, you can't make sound judgments and have discretion. There is an effect, there is a result every single time to drifting away from Christ. And when Christ is not influencing your thinking, the world will. The world will. It will not remain in a vacuum. But there's a second part to the story. You and I will not only drift away from Christ, we'll drift into things we didn't plan on drifting into. Look at verse 2. He says, for the since the message spoken through the angels was binding and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment. Now stop and pause. Hebrews often, and is doing it here, will take Old Testament references and imagery to make a point about the superiority of Christ. So he's saying when people in the Old Testament who did not know Jesus yet, he had not come yet, they experienced these things. You and I will experience them even more. Now here, let's look at it closely. Look at what he says in verse 2. For since the message, that is God's word, God's truth in the Old Testament times, the message was binding. Now why is it talking about 
about angels because he's going all the way back, all the way back to Moses when angels were, were at the center of delivering the Ten Commandments, for example, the law of Moses. And it was the Ten Commandments, not the Ten Suggestions. So he brings, he uses the messengers to bring that word. And when that word was brought to Moses and God's people, what does it say? Listen, look at it close. Was it, was it negotiable? In terms of what the truth is? No, it's binding. Now stay with me. That word binding means more than what it means to you and I in our language. You see, that word binding means that the truth of God's word is absolute. It's not your truth and my truth. It is the truth. That's what that word means. It is binding. Whether you believe it or not or follow the truth or not, it is real. It means stable, firm, reliable. It is connected to reality. You've heard me say this or use this example a number of times. The law of gravity. You and I can wake up one day and say, I believe that if I flap my arms hard enough, I can change or defy the law of gravity. What's the problem with that? I go up on top of this building and jump off and flap my arms. What changes? Not the law of gravity, because I'm going to be on the ground with a broken ankle at work best. You can flap your arms as hard as you want. You can try to change and define truth in all kinds of measure. And listen, our culture does this every single day. Truth is what I feel it is, right? Come on. My truth, your truth, it's that kind of garbage. Relativism, that is garbage. The Bible says it's garbage. It is garbage. It is not true. You can flap your arms all day long and jump off this roof a hundred times. If you live through it, it you're going to end up on the ground every single time because you cannot deny what the truth is. That's the Bible. That is God's word. It is binding. It is, it is a truth that applies to everybody, whether you're a follower of Christ or not. Now, look at what happens when we drift away from that truth, according to God's word, as the people in the Old Testament did. It says in verse 2, for since the message was binding in every, look at it, violation and disobedience received its just, pun just punishment. Now stay with me. Let's, let's dig into that just for a second. You see that, that phrase, violation, means to step across the line. You ever driven a, a, a single lane road before out in the middle of curvy, hilly places? You know, there's this funky, solid line sometimes when you're wanting to pass somebody that's telling you what? Don't do that because you can't see what's coming over the hill or you can't see what's around the curve. And I can cross that line thinking I'm smarter than the people who put the line down there and I'm liable to have a head-on collision, right? Because I can't see everything in front of me. That, that what it is saying is that you and I can choose to step across the line but we're going to pay a price. It's going to be a self-inflicted penalty, if you will. It goes on to say disobedience. And that word disobedience focuses on an unwillingness to listen or hear the truth. You ever been or met somebody that didn't want to hear what the truth is? They just wanted to hear what they wanted to hear? You ever been there? Absolutely. I have too. 
Well, sure, I can choose to be that way. I can stick my hand in the sand. I can ignore God himself. I can ignore the truth of his word, even when his spirit tries to convict me. But you know what happens when I do? Wham, I'm going to hit the wall. And you know what's funny about us? And I'm talking about you. I hit the wall. I'm kidding. I'm, I'm relating. I hit the wall and sometimes I'm surprised. I, I, I step across the line and I hit something and I'm shocked. When God's word is said, here's reality. It's like gravity. Flap your arms all you want to. Jump off the roof all the times you want to. But you're going to end up in the same place. Trust me. God is saying, trust me. The truth is there for a reason. And he says that when we violate, when we make those choices, there is always a result. And the word punishment emphasizes something that is earned. Romans 3.23, what does it say? For the wages of sin is death. A wage is something you earn. It's the same principle. The word punishment is often used as a descriptive of sin. Missing the mark. It is a willful drift away from the truth that will always cost you something. You see, this is why I'm trying to tell you, according to Hebrews, that drifting away from Christ is not an abstract. It's a real life result. And God's word is warning us in love, warning us. So result number one is that when we drift away from the truth, we will drift into other things. We will drift into self-inflicted pain. <clears throat> what can we do about it? Let's look at verses three and four and I'll wrap it up. Look at the defense we have. Now, again, notice the contrast. He's saying in Old Testament times, God's people chose to violate and disobey, refused to listen to the truth, and they earned their wage. They caused pain in their life. And then he says, how shall we, even as followers of Christ, escape such a great salvation? what we have gotten through Christ. Now, what is the problem that we have according to Hebrews chapter verse 3? We sometimes ignore Christ. When we ignore what Christ has done and who he is in our life, when we drift away from him, it's going to bring results. And the word ignore means to be careless with. It means to become apathetic about it's, it's a call to lean into your relationship with Christ when you are going through times of testing instead of choosing to drift away from Christ. It is a call to trust him one day at a time as opposed to looking around for other things and other people to put your trust in. It is a call to develop genuine faith in Christ in the midst of testing in the midst of the challenge of life. Because I want you to notice something else it says in verse 3. He says, 
how shall we escape if we, if we ignore? We don't have to ignore so great what Christ has done. It's such a great salvation. This salvation, which was announced to us by the Lord, by Christ himself, we have what we have because of him, but it was also confirmed by those who heard him. Who's he talking about? The eyewitnesses that were there. The original disciples and the original believers who were, listen, so convinced that Jesus was who he was, that he was more than just a rabbi, he was more than just a Jewish guy, he was more than just a philosopher, that he was God with us. He was the word become flesh. They were so convinced that they were willing to what? Suffer and die. They could have faded into the background and life would have been a lot easier day to day. But these believers said, we know exactly who he is, and I'll die for it if I have to. God gave us those witnesses to add. You see, God doesn't call for blind faith. He shows us who he is. Jesus proved who he is by fulfilling prophecy and miracles to affirm who he is. And so he is calling us here in verse 3 to develop a genuine faith in times of testing, don't drift away from that faith. So number one is embrace genuine faith in Christ. Now stop and pause, wake up for a second, please, because let's talk just briefly what that means. When you go through times of testing, how can you and I develop a genuine, a deeper faith in Christ? I'm not, now, now some of these you're, you're not gonna be surprised at, but stay with me. Number one, it starts with God's word as your anchor. And listen, when I say God's word, you know this, I'm not talking about just learning more about God's word, the more about the truth in his word. I'm talking about being more responsive to the truth. Let God lead you in how to think, in how to live. Let the truth of his word define your perspectives. Why? Because from your thinking come your choices. From your thinking and my thinking come your values. It affects everything in your life. So start with learning more about God's word by all means. But I'm going to challenge you always. You, you know what I, I've said a million times. It's not what you know. It's what you do with what you know that changes your life. Apply more. Struggle with the application. Responding to the truth of his word. Don't just know it. Satan knew it didn't change anything about him clearly the second part is is connected you see the other part is prayer we tend to think of prayer myself included at times that prayer is me asking God for stuff and is it wrong to ask God no God's word says petition, but you know what else prayer is? Prayer is acknowledging who he is. It is personal worship every day of your life. It is also acknowledging what he does. It is being thankful for who he is in your life. That is prayer. Prayer is not only talking to God, but listening to God. It is being quiet and still and letting him speak to you. That's why these two things are connected. Here's his voice. Listen to him. Let him speak to you. Don't get out of the habit of praying without ceasing. Praying without ceasing. I said that backwards. Don't cease praying. I'll get it right. Connect and reconnect with Christ throughout your day. That's why memorizing and meditating on Scripture, I think, is important. You're going down loop one. 
You're not going to whip out your Bible and start reading, I hope. But if you've got his word on your mind, your heart, that God cuts you off, instead of letting life define your perspective that day, you can let his word and his voice define. It makes a big difference. Number two, number three, community. We just spent four weeks talking about the fact that we're better together. And I didn't make any of that up. It is in God's word. We are called to this journey together. We are called to be an anchor together. We are called on mission together. So spend the time and make the effort to develop community in this body of Christ. If you don't have a hope group, that's a starting place. We have purposeful efforts to help you find friends and to develop relationships. None of it is perfect, but we're always working on it. Get involved on the level that you're doing more than attending. Try to find community because it will make all the difference on your relationship with Christ. And listen, it can make all the difference between following Christ when you're tested and drifting away from him. If you have loving people in your life and say, that can tell you what's going on. Are you struggling? Or you can come to them and say, I'm struggling. Isn't that a good thing? Why would you want to do this by yourself? Because we're not called to. Number four. Now, this is going to sound weird to some of you, but serve. Use the gifts of God that he has placed within you and make a difference, both in the body and outside the walls. Serve the people in the body and be on mission outside this campus. You see, we don't stop being new hope when we leave here, right? That's where it just begins. When you drive out of this parking lot this morning, you're not stopping your mission. You're just starting it. Serve. That is how your relationship with Christ will develop. That is how you and I can remain anchored in him when we are tested in life. Let me wrap it up with this. Look at verse 4. Not only is it embracing a genuine faith in Christ, but is embracing the work of God's Spirit. Look at what he says. God also testified to this, what? Our great salvation. What we have in Christ. God has testified. He has added, what that means is added evidence. Added evidence to. He has testified how? To the signs and wonders and miracles, that's referring to him giving the apostles, the original disciples, when Jesus ascended and God's spirit took Jesus' place in the early church, he gave them an, an ability to do these signs and wonders and miracles in order to affirm that what they were teaching about Jesus was true. Christ gave them other evidence, the power in that case, but then he doesn't stop there. Notice the very end. And by gifts of what? Who's the source? The Holy Spirit. By the gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to whose will? His will. If you're a believer, you've got at least one spiritual gift that God has placed in your life through his spirit. The question is, are you and I listening and are we willing? I like what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4 and 11. He says, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. 
All of these are the work of the one and the same Spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. He's got a purpose for you being here. He's got gifts he's given you. Don't sit on them. He brings this, as we, look, as weird as we are, and we are a weird lot, let me tell you, myself included, but he has brought us together for a reason. And he's got toes and eyes and everything figured out if we're willing to say yes. He will bring us together to do amazing things and also do a work in our own lives if we're willing to say yes. So number, at the very end, he's saying embrace genuine faith in Christ and embrace God's spirit. If you're responsive to God's spirit, you don't have time to drift. If you're anchored truly in his word and you're trusting who Christ is in the moment when the test comes in your life, you do not have time to drift. But if you're not focused on him and you're not responsive to his spirit, my friend, every single one of us are going to drift. Not if, but when. It will happen according to God's word. Ran across this interesting story this week. I've never seen this before I read it. A man named William Edward Perry was an English explorer in the early 1800s. And in 1827, Perry was attempting the earliest expeditions of the North Pole. He was going there and trying to travel by foot. As a matter of fact, at one point, he established a foot land record for going the farthest to the center of the North Pole that stood for almost five decades. Nobody else could get further than he did. But he had one particular expedition that was rather interesting. He and the party set out on the North Pole. The wind, of course, it's freezing cold and the wind's blowing the snow and all that. And they set their course north by the stars. And so they set it and they started north. Well, hours and hours later, they're exhausted and just about worn out, and they look at the stars again to check and make sure they had still gone the, the right direction. And you know what they discovered? That they had gone, or they were now farther south than when they started, even though they had been going north. Now you're thinking, how does that happen? What they discovered is that they were traveling on an ice floe that was going south. So they were caught up in all their effort. They were looking and, and doing everything they knew, but yet they were drifting. You know what that says to me? They didn't know that they were drifting until they did what? Checked again. They looked up to the reference point. You see, you and I can be in the middle of our lives and scrambling and exhausting ourselves over all kinds of stuff, can we not? But my question for you and me, for that matter, are you checking your reference point? Are you looking to Christ and asking him, is this what I should be doing? Am I going in the right direction or am I drifting? Because drift can be very subtle and all of a sudden you wake up and you realize there's a big gap between me and my faith in Christ. It's subtle, and it happens slowly. Do you have the things in place to make sure you don't drift? Are you following Christ? Are you being influenced by the world? It's one or the other. You can't do both. Which is it for you?
and I this morning. Let's pray. Father, as always, thank you for your perspective from your word, the truth of your word, a truth that we can trust, a truth that is every bit as solid and real and reliable as gravity itself. It's a reality. And so, Father, I pray as the body of Christ here at New Hope, especially followers of Christ sitting here this morning or with us online, I pray that we'll evaluate, am I drifting or following? Am I just slowly drifting away? Have I become apathetic in my faith? Or am I engaged in a genuine life-changing faith in Jesus Christ? Father, I pray that when we drift, you'll give us the desire to change course. I pray that we are doing the things in our life day to day that help anchor us in who Christ is to avoid the drift in the first place. But Father, most of all, I praise you that you're so patient and loving, that you do not give up on us as long as we have breath in our lungs. It is not done until we're done here in this life. So I pray that we'll make the most of every second you bless us with by choosing to truly place our faith in Christ, especially when it comes to times of testing in our lives. It's in Jesus' name that we do pray. Amen.